This is the LSC Sports Business Group podcast. Welcome to the LSE Sports Business Group podcast. In this episode, I spoke with LSE Cricket Club captain Ujaval Dingra, or Uj as he prefers to be called. Thankfully, Uj is extremely knowledgeable on the sport and has a wealth of experience to back it up. Over the course of around an hour, we spoke about how LSE Cricket is seeking, with success, to be an inclusive club in response to the sport's elitist and exclusive past. We also spent a lot of time discussing the international landscape of cricket, as it too wrestles with a sporting climate that necessitates fast-paced, adrenaline-filled exhibitions. I realised that at some points throughout the episode, Uji and I casually refer to events without the details that some listeners may require. Roughly a third of the way in, we chat about the suspension of Australian batsmen Steve Smith, Cameron Bancroft and David Warner from international cricket. The incident occurred in March 2018, in which, during a test match against South Africa, a 25-year-old debutant Bancroft used a foreign object, sandpaper, to scratch the surface of the cricket ball in an attempt to gain further control over its movement and thus gain an unfair advantage over the opposition. Captain on the day was Steve Smith, and the idea to illegally intervene was apparently born in the head of one David Warner. To give something like a glossary, T20 games are much shorter fixtures than five-day tests, in which each team has 20 overs, one over equaling six balls, to score as many runs as possible. ODI matches are similar, but instead with 50 overs. I just want to start off by really getting a background on you and how you started and and where you started in cricket. Yeah, so I mean, just basically from a very young age, I probably couldn't even remember, um, just sort of in the backyard, I guess, with my brother, just a bit of garden cricket. But then, yeah, eventually joined a club, I think, age maybe seven or eight. But even then, that was just like plastic bat, tennis ball just the sort of standard stuff to get you into cricket. And then as you grow up, you, you finally get to use like a big red ball. And then, yeah, school cricket kind of took over. I, I kind of quit my club quite early on, which is a bit controversial at the age of maybe 13, 14. But then, yeah, naturally after like school cricket, just joined on to uni, saw the society seemed pretty good um, just from the, the website, the freshers fair and stuff. And then, yeah, from then on, just carried on with LSE. So always been into cricket, but... I did have a look at other sports, but I think cricket was always the one that I was like, I'm probably going to join this one at uni. Yeah. And just just going back to your sort of decision to choose school cricket over club, um, yeah. what was the sort of influence behind that? Because presumably, you know, there were quite a few people who wanted you to stay at that club. Yeah. So it was like club cricket, it's a lot of commitment. Like even school cricket was like training every lunchtime and then probably Wednesday evenings, you have a game up to like 7, 8 p.m. And then the net session after school on like a Friday or like a Tuesday or something. 
and then your entire Saturday is taken up by club cricket or school cricket as well. And then to have like club cricket on top is a whole Sunday. Um, and then like trainings after school and stuff as well. So it's just like a lot. And I was also the kind of person that wanted to do a load of sports. So I was like, you know, school yeah. played a bit of tennis, like some badminton. So it was like, just because there was so much on and then just like school as well, just takes over your life. You want to have a bit of a social life. I gave it up, but at the same time, I wasn't not playing cricket. Yeah, yeah, it was almost like you, you were getting a sort of balance of cricket in between sort of your other commitments here and there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, so with with tennis, I mean, how much did you play there? I know this not, is meant to be a cricket pod, but I suppose... Sure, you... not too much. That was more, I'd say, when I was younger. I think in schools like badminton as well, which is our school kind of encouraged us to play pretty mm-hmm. much every sport there was. I had a knock at rugby as well. And because we had like a lot of like house tournaments and stuff, so you'd, you'd play pretty much every sport. I none of, I didn't play many sports to like a proper standard apart from cricket. Right. But it was just like you'd have you'd have an experience in at school that you kind of just got to do everything to a fairly decent standard, I guess. And you and you reckon the standard was pretty high at your school? So my school is a grammar school, and we were in a league with a load of like private schools. So in terms of like sporting standards, I'd say probably not compared to them, but compared as just like a whole general level of cricket I would say it was pretty decent and we had those yeah. decent facilities to actually get like some good quality cricket going. Nice no, I'm, I'm presumably there are some pretty huge games in between you know the, the grammar schools and the and the private schools. Yeah yeah like it, it was always good like we had like a the school opposite us was a private school and we would almost always beat them in cricket so it was always nice <laughs> to have that kind of like over them because they were like our yeah. rivals kind of um, but then there was always the you'd go over to like Whitgift or like uh, John Fisher which are like really good schools at sport and you would just get absolutely battered um, so yeah, there, there was some highs and lows I guess. Do you have a, a favourite game from that sort of period of your life? Um, in terms of school cricket there was one time we were in year eight and there was like a scheduling issue and we had been put up against the sort of year 10 side and they'd gone to play our year eights as well it was just like a bit of a mix-up and then we'd been playing these like kids above us managed to get a win so it was just like a a very good or just a solid experience just to be able to like hold that over them yeah they were meant to be better than us older than us there was and, like, and they had the suggestion that they were like taking it easy but you know did, did you have much to do with the win or were you uh I feel like I got I got a few wickets, but memory doesn't quite serve me well. I feel like we all played a decent part. I don't really remember to be yeah. honest. Well, that's the thing. I mean, you know, speaking of that, it is. I mean, we did see a sort of a huge effort from from Ben Stokes over the summer, and mm. you know that that game at uh, was it Headingley? Yeah, yeah. And I'm making that yeah. up. Yeah, I, I was out of the day. Sure. Yeah. Unfortunately. But I mean, do you, do you think cricket is is you know definitely more of a team sport, and and if so, sort of what what you know makes a what are the good ingredients for for a good team? Sure, yeah. So I mean, Andrew Strauss was kind of talking about this in the event that the sports business group organised. It was a really good session. Um, but he was like, it is it's a team sport at the end of the day, but it's it's an individual effort in a sense because at the end of the day, it's one person bowling a ball and two one batsmen. Um, so that it's. In order to have a good team, you need to have a load of good individuals in there. But at the same time, without a fully like functioning unit, like even like bowlers would often need to work together if you've not got good good fielding. Or like often people talk about innings in partnerships between batsmen. So there's there's always that team aspect has to be there. You can't just like ride along with like one or two good players in a team. That like that just never works. Yeah. But yeah. at the same time, there's 
probably more of an individual aspect in cricket as a team sport compared to other team sports. So like you're looking at like rugby or football, for example, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you can have a few players with an off day and still perhaps get away with it. Yeah, yeah, no, precisely. You know, with regards to that, that sort of pressure of the, the very sort of one-on-one bowler versus batsman aspect of, of mm-hmm. cricket, uh, do, you, do you sort of personally enjoy that, that pressure of a, of a guy charging at you or, or charging at another guy? Is it something that, could, that actually adds to the, the game itself? Yeah, I, I definitely say so. It's it's part of the experience and also just like there's constant need, like even when you're fielding, you have to just, you're constantly told to put pressure on the batsman. That's like perhaps the keyest, like the biggest part. Just with cricket, you need like a strong mind just to get through it because you're going to be, in a, in a nice way, be held abuse from everyone in that field because they are trying to get against you. There'll be some good chat going. So you have to like, as a batsman in, in particular, you just have to block it out and like, because there are two of you from your side on that field at the same time as 11 people from the other side. So you're, yeah. you're, you're really in your own mindset trying to ignore that, just focus on the ball that's coming down at you. But at the same time as a bowler, you will have battles with individual batsmen. So it, it does really, it, it helps increase the excitement of the game, um, which is always good. But it's like, at the end of the day, you have to remember that it's, it's just a game and you need to leave, leave everything there. <laughs> Very diplomatic response. <laughs> but let's say, so I'm, let's say I'm from Imperial and, you know, it's the first over, you're bowling at me, you're trying to make me nervous. What do you, what do you try and do? Um, as a bowler, there's only... Bouncer at the head first up or? Oh, I would, in, in the first over, you'd avoid it. You want to just get your rhythm going line the length, I would say. But, um... Right. I'd say that that mainly lies on the field and perhaps the captain in that situation, just to make sure that the batsman feels under pressure. So the field needs to be like just sort of on it in terms of the fielding itself and making sure there's no like sort of slip away and runs, I guess. And then just like getting some chat going, making sure that there's like sort of intensity. But at the same time, you can't forget the, the basics of cricket because a batsman's kind of looking for a loop. Like if you bowl a short ball, they will kind of pounce on it. So you can't you can't just like have fun you need to think about it systematically i guess you could say yeah so it's, in other words it's all about getting the the batsman to take you as the bowler seriously yeah exactly it's like it's, it's almost who's going to slip up first so if you're if you're just doing your job and the batsman's doing their job it's going to be a tight contest but if you're trying too hard and trying to like force an error from them almost um mm-hmm. or like slipping up yourself they will try and pounce on it it's a game of like risk and reward i guess well, that's the thing, because, I mean, you see, you know, you watch test cricket and it's such a, you know, to a naked eye um, or to someone who doesn't particularly enjoy the sport, it's a very slow-moving, tedious affair. But then when you've when you sort of been out on the square yourself, each ball, it seems, is its own individual battle. And I suppose that's where, where cricket is quite unique. Yeah, exactly. I, I think a lot of people are astounded by the fact that you could play a game for five whole days and still end up with a draw. It's it's. It, it can be long and boring for a lot of people that don't really know what's happening. But that's that's the issue with cricket. It's like it's seen as boring from the outside. But once you're in it, it's a lot more fun and enjoyable. So you need to like, I think I would always just tell people to come in with an open mind and realise that like, especially with test cricket, there there is so much going on. There are so many little things. Yeah. And they all just add to the game. And it's just like each ball matters. You can't like. You're meant to be batting for, for hours, and if you if you have one little slip up for one minute, um, you you lose your wicket and you're out, and then that means your team might suffer as a result. So it's just like yeah. 
the constant pressure that the, it's on your mind all the time so you just need to like uh, we, uh, we've not really played any test or like first class games but even from our like limited overs experience we we can feel the sort of pressure that they must be under in cricket you can have one one mistake and it can undo so much hard work whereas you know if, if you're say a forward in in football if you miss a goal you're going to have another chance yeah yeah definitely if you spent a whole like over if you spent five balls trying to build some pressure and try and seek out a wicket on the last ball if you you bowl a poor delivery between that or on that ball you've just undone all your hard work but it's yeah. it, you, that that's the same as like I, even in football as a defender if you if you slip up as centre half you you could just lead to like a one-on-one with your goalkeeper like it's the same with every sport but with cricket it's a bit more like it takes a longer time to build up so it's just yeah yeah work more and and forgive me because I'm I'm not actually aware. Are you a, a spin bowler or a, or a pace bowler? Uh, well, I, I would describe myself as a pace bowler, but I doubt there's actually much pace on that. To be perfectly honest. <laughs> right. Okay. So so when you're, as you say, have a, have a slight lack of pace, are you mm. trying to you know how are you trying to undo the batsman? Yeah. So a, a lot of it is to do with swinging the ball, which is it's a don't let w- don't let any uh, rivals hear this by the way. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course, can't give any tricks away. But there's a lot of like trying to move the ball in the air. So you, you'll often see cricketers, especially like test games, like wiping the ball up and down their trousers, which seems weird to most people watching it. But it's it's to try and shine one side of the ball so that it moves faster through the air. And that means like the ball moves side to side which makes it a bit harder for the batsman. So it's that's the, the main tool as a pace bowler you would have. And that's kind of what I try to use, but I doubt it's too much effect. Well, I, can't, I've ne- I mean, I've never seen you, I can do it. Um, but <laughs> sure, I'm sure that's yeah. not entirely true. Um, <laughs> and, and speaking of the, you know, obviously you spoke about how the, the bowler can, can get an advantage by sort of shining the ball and making it sort of move in ways that the batsman can't expect. So Steve Smith, Cameron Bancroft and David Warner were each given... Sort of long-term bans from the sport. Why? Why do you think it? It sort of shocked everyone so much. Is it in some sense that it attacked the sort of gentlemanly agreement that cricket's always maintained? Yeah. So cricket is it's described as a gentleman sport, and on the whole, I would definitely say it's like when you're going on the pitch, the the opposition team will clap you off if someone from the other side does something well, you will applaud it. Most cricket games will go to a very like well respectable games. But that just sort of, it, it, it did tarnish it. And because it's at the highest level, Australian cricket, they're, they're one of the best sides in the world. I think even the Australian Prime Minister spoke out against it. It shouldn't really be in the game. And so it, it did provide a big shock. But, I mean, I was actually working at the World Cup last year, well, in 2019, and had a chat with a few of the, the Indian cricketers, the retired ones. And they, they I won't allude to who said what, corruption charges <laughs> or whatever. Um, <laughs> But there, there was a suggestion that it's pretty common at the elite level. And so Bancroft got caught doing it with cameras yeah. everywhere. So it's, and even then, you, you, if you watch the, the actual video of him doing it, it's, it's very subtle. He kind of takes out this little tiny cutout of sandpaper from like his trousers and like rubs it against the ball. And it's very subtle. So it, who knows how many times it's been done. I think Stuart Broad even said that like the in the Ashes series, Australia was swinging it so much and England just weren't able to do that. So who knows how they managed to do that. So it's 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 shameful and it shouldn't be in the game, but perhaps it's been around for a long time and no one really knows about it. Yeah, do you know, I, I suppose I, I never really thought about it at the time. Um, the fact that, you know, maybe this is part of a far more common trend. 
yeah i remember watching it live and just and i i felt that same sort of sense of i don't know almost almost revulsion really because it was just such a just completely the opposite of this perception that everyone has of cricket which i think in in that sense it was pretty sad and i remember seeing so many you know cricketers from the past coming out and just saying whether they should play again whether this or that mm. um and for you know for two arguably three you know remarkable batsmen <laughs> yeah uh, that was just terribly sad yeah definitely i think two facts it's been a big learning experience i don't think you will see that ever again i yeah. mean i could be corrected but also even if, even if you look at like steve smith he you can see he's changed his image he's he was the australia captain he, he should take some accountability but you can see that now he's a much more like well put together character especially in the the last ashes series if you there's this documentary on amazon prime called the test bit of a PR exercise, but it's it's quite good and quite good insight. But you, you would caveat that of David Warner, who's still David Warner, to be honest, I won't say much more. Some things don't change. Yeah. But no, but, but to be fair, I mean, they both came back. I mean, but I think David Warner had a pretty horrible time at the Ashes, um, yeah. but he's still, you know, fantastic cricketer and, and Steve Smith's record speaks for itself. So, I mean, could it be called a tale of redemption? Perhaps, yeah, I think... Especially considering every time they stood out onto a pitch, they, they got booed like by a stadium full of people. And it's, yeah. it's actually crazy to think that Steve Smith had just blocked it out and managed to score as many runs as he has. It was, it's, I mean, I was in the stadium quite a few times when the booing was happening, and it's just insane to hear that like level of noise and so much hatred for a person. He, he silenced his critics, I guess you could say. By the end of it, not that many people were booing him. But even then, people were saying, should, I mean, he served his punishment. Judge, yeah. like justice should be like not retributive but rehabilitative i guess um so he's learned his lesson and i, I think perhaps the time has passed and everyone can kind of move on from it well only time will tell i guess now you said you were involved in the world cup uh, last year yeah. how did you swing that and, and what did it involve yeah, it was a bit of a remarkable experience. I, I would say my career has pretty much peaked. It was probably the best job I've ever had in my life. So Star Sports, who were like an Indian cricket broadcaster, they just sent an email to our vice club captain at the time. So I was a fresher at this point. And they were like, do you have any people that can sort of help out that we were called production runners? Um, and he thankfully put my name forward for it. But it was just like, we'd go in the day before the actual match, help set up a few cameras, and then... On the day of the match, we would literally just escort the commentators from the pitch to the commentary box. And then that was between the innings and before the inning started. And then after that, we would almost have free reign and do like we would do odd jobs if like something need delivering for someone or something. But other than that, we just had yeah. a load of free time. So we would just kind of just either go. We had pitch side passes and we can go like between the innings. We were going into onto the actual square and stuff or like. During the match, we would be watching from the camera gantry. It had like the best view, or we'd be sitting in the crowds, or like just behind the boundary boards and stuff. So we, it was amazing. We just got to watch these like insane cricket matches that absolutely well, were getting paid for it. Um, and it was like even the actual World Cup finals. I, me and Adar, who's our first team captain, we were sitting behind these sort of advertising boards right on the pitch for the super over and the final overs of the match. I, I was sitting next to like Kevin Peterson on my right. Simon Dool on my left, who were two like insane cricketers in their time. And it was just like such an unreal experience to like see England win a World Cup at home sitting with these like absolute legends of the sport. Man, I'm kind of shocked. I did not expect that answer. I thought you were going to be putting up the phones or something. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I wouldn't quite sure. That is, that is quite the job. 
Yeah, yeah. Wow, wow. Did you get a chance to speak to KP at all? Yeah, yeah. We we got to speak to like pretty much like all the the top cricketers of the time that were commentating. So like yeah. Brian Lara, Sachin Tendulkar, Shane Warne, all of these people. Like even I remember like a particular experience where it's like the World Cup final between like the innings. I had to escort Sachin Tendulkar from the actual pitch where they were doing like a little mid-game analysis um, to the commentary box uh, before the actual second inning started. Managed to like sneak in a photo with him and had a chat as like who do you think's gonna win and just like he was talking about the conditions a bit and it was just like insane just to be speaking to perhaps the, the greatest cricketer ever yeah. about a World Cup final during a World Cup final like on the pitch at Lords it was it was a very like, surreal well. experience yeah and, so and I mean, just... for anyone listening who doesn't isn't aware of Sachin Tendulkar I mean he is really truly treated like a god just about wherever yeah. he goes yeah literally I remember one time he was like. He wanted a yogurt or something, and I was sent on a mission to like try and find this yogurt for him. So I was like patrolling lords, just like Satchin Tendulkar needs a yogurt. Can you source one? And like I was in the MCC Pavilion, which is like this, a members' pavilion. The waiting list for that is like years, like twelve years, I think. And you have to pay yeah. thousands to be a member. And they managed to like sort me with a yogurt for Satchin Tendulkar. But it was like the amount so of respect this guy gets. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm guessing that's not a sentence you'd ever thought you'd say. Yeah, literally. Was, Sorry, Sachin needs a, needs a yogurt. <laughs> yeah, a little yeah, pity exactly. for you. Goodness me. How, so, what did you learn from from being around those guys? Yeah, just so much. Like the the, the experience they had in the games. They were talking about cricket and like ways you wouldn't really think. And it was just like seeing how they would approach like the mindset. Like a lot of the times they'd be like, "Oh, they need to like pick up the pace here, or this person should be doing this." They would like question captaincy decisions they would they would it was interesting that i'd never say a lot of that on the the actual commentary the commentary was a lot more like professional so it's a bit of a contrast to what they say privately and publicly they really let loose yeah yeah, they definitely did and it was just they would they would talk to almost anyone and everyone about the actual game which was quite weird to see considering like i mean i remember having a particular chat with like yuvraj singh who's oh no not sorry not yuvraj singh harvajan singh who's like one of the best spinners of all time Mm. about I think it was a Bangladesh game or something but it was just crazy he was almost treating me like an equal just like he knows so much more than I do and yeah it's just amazing to have a discussion with him yeah yeah literally so it's just I think it's also nice for them to just because particularly for Indian players when they go to India they are as you said like treated like absolute gods so they would like coming to I mean western countries I guess you could say where they're not they are treated with a lot of respect, but perhaps not in a way that like people are scared to talk to them. So it's, yeah. it's always nice for them to just be able to have like a nice chat with someone about cricket who's not perhaps as well informed about cricket. But still, the LFC club captain. I mean, do you think <laughs> uh, do you think Badger is in his India dressing room saying that he spoke to you as well? Yeah, probably. I reckon I reckon that's probably the highlight of his World Cup, to be honest. So in the past sort of 10 years, I think it started in, in 2008, um, the IPL, that, that being the Indian Premier League, has really dominated sort of cricket conversations with a lot of people feeling like it's sort of a departure from their traditional values and a lot of people getting sort of subsumed by the, the excitement and the adrenaline of it all. Where do you sit on that argument? Yeah, so I would, I would say it's, it's good for cricket in that it gets people watching it, but I don't I would almost say it's, it's not cricket. It's it's very flashy. The ball isn't red, it's white. The white balls, they as we were talking about earlier, like the red ball moves in the air because you shine it. The white ball doesn't move as much. 
it's a lot easier for batsmen. And if, even if you watch like the IPL, you just see like balls getting absolutely dispatched. So um, as a bowler, you don't like it. Yeah, I think, I mean, I've often said, just, just put bowling machines out. What's the point of having bowlers there if you're just trying to see who can hit it as far as you can? Like, it's, it, the, it loses the fun of, like, the battle between batsmen and bowlers, I think. Uh, the, the MCC, which is, like, they set the rules of cricket. They're the Marlebin Cricket Club. They often, in that annual meeting, they have this thing where it's, like, the contest between bat and ball, and they have to make sure that's kind of even. And you just look at the IPL, and it, it's just not the case that it's even at all. I mean, you do get, like, standout bowlers this year, for example, like Jofra Archer did an amazing job as a bowler. But it's it's very difficult for most people. And I think test cricket, there's, there's so much more to it. You need to think a lot more is the main thing. Whereas with the IPL, there is thinking, and you need to, like, pace your innings and whatever. But it's just, like, at the end of the day, who's got the biggest rig, the biggest muscles, and can pummel the ball as far as they can, um, which is not not quite cricket for me. But A little less people, nuanced. Yeah, yeah. Like, other people would definitely disagree, I think. Also, you can't deny the fact that it brings in so much money to cricket in particular, and it, it, it definitely engages audiences because of, like, how short and commercial and flashy it is. In England, we've got a tradition of, even if you look at most sports, there aren't too many, like, sponsors or anything about, and it's just, like... It's very gentlemanly. Even even things like football or rugby, there's not too many sponsors. Whereas if you look at perhaps American sports or like if you watch like an NFL game or like UFC or something like that, you'll see sponsors and ads everywhere, which is kind of what the IPL is as well. And for, for some, that, that kind of attracts them and it, the flashing lights and all the fireworks does attract them. But to me personally, I just don't think it's that representative of sport day to day. And when you say that there's advertising everywhere, um, for anyone who hasn't watched it, that really is no lie. I mean, yeah. someone will hit a six and it's it's a, a yes bank maximum. Yeah, yeah. an unacademy cracking six. This yeah, that's what... Every ball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so I understand it can be quite overwhelming. Is it a direction that you see cricket going on with, you know, in England we're soon to have what's called the 100. The 100, yeah. Um, which is a similar sort of style to the, to the IPL. Yeah, so I mean, I'd say most countries have tried to replicate it. In Australia, you've got like the Big Bash, there's like the Caribbean Premier League, Pakistan Super League. There's there's plenty of other people trying to do what India have done. And I think to an extent, it's it's good, especially for countries like Test cricket is only really a big thing in England and perhaps like Australia. And in other countries, you watch Test cricket and there are no crowds whatsoever. Whereas if you if you watch like a a Pakistan Super League game, there's, there's so many people, even in the audiences, maybe not now, but before, it brings in money for those countries, and they can then direct those funds to test cricket, which is always good, but the, the trouble is, people will just end up playing the, the sort of limited overs game. So yeah, in terms of like cricket itself, there's more and more specialisation into white ball cricket, which you could argue is a good thing, but also takes away the actual like complete cricketer aspect of it, and it, it helps with the funds, but I don't think it represents the sport well enough. So it's it's a question of long-term sustainability of the sport versus the fabric of the sport itself. And it's it's a difficult balance. And I, I'm, I'm lucky, I'm glad I'm not the one that's in the position to like make these decisions. But I think it's it's a question of, would you like to have the sport like continue growing or would you like it to be what it is, but still be kind of like exclusive and only people that like, play and understand cricket are the ones that carry on playing it. Yeah. 
you when you were when you were at school you you were as you said at a grammar school but you were playing a lot of private schools and I think it's something that, that Andrew Strauss touched upon in our discussion with him is cricket capable of being a sport for all classes or is it always going to be sort of burdened by that upper class connotation yeah it's 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 such a difficult job because the, the the main problem is cricket is an expensive sport to play. Like if a cricket ball costs about 15 to 20 pounds, maybe more if you're getting a good one, pads cost you a few hundred pounds. And like the, the pitches itself are so hard to maintain. You need like good, good groundsmen. You need to like know how to get a, cric- a good cricket pitch. And that's why state schools really do struggle with getting funds and like supporting good quality cricket. And even if you like join a club, then club memberships are well over a few hundred pounds. You have to buy like whites, which will push you back like 50, 60 pounds. These costs do add up. And that's why cricket has always been difficult to like make available to the masses. But it's recently it's become more and more elite, which is a bit of a problem, especially at the top level of the sport. I mean, there are so many like studies and stuff done, which just show that there's a select number of schools. It's like, it's very much a public school sport right now. And the, the ECB, which is the England and Wales Cricket Board, they have they have a strategy to try and like make it more popular and make it less private schooly. But I mean personally, I, I don't think it's very it's a very good strategy. I don't think it's going to work. So the, the hundred is their main focus, which is to try and get cricket more popular. And by the hundred is meant to be like a shorter format. It will only last like two hours. And that way they can get it onto like BBC and ITV and stuff so that it's free to air instead of just being on like Sky Sports. And by doing that, they hope to make the sport more popular, get more people playing it. And by getting more people playing it, they hope to grow cricket and make it less private schooly. But it doesn't really tackle the actual issue of the cost itself. Like just because a load of kids want to play cricket, it doesn't mean schools will be able to like purchase these massive playing fields and like hire out groundsmen to to make these amazing wickets and pitches or like even be able to pay for every kid to have like pads and a bat and whites and stuff it's just not attainable and even if you look at sports like tennis and rugby that they're on tv tennis like wimbledon's always on tv every year rugby is on itv quite a bit as well the six nations is always free to air but even if you look at tennis most of the elite level players are all in the uk at least privately educated same with rugby it's it's more of a grassroots sport and there's a lot less of just the elites playing it but it's still quite dominated by private schools especially at school level not that many state schools play rugby so just by getting something on tv doesn't really make it playable by everyone i think the ecb should just try and focus on making funds available to like schools and people that want to play cricket and kind of focus on that rather than just trying to make it on or get it on TV. And I also think there's this like idea of like, if you look at the England cricket team, there are a handful of BAME players. Whereas if you look on the grassroots level, like any club green or village, you'll, you'll go there and there'll be like a, a whole host of like, particularly South Asian and like Caribbean players. But if you look in the England cricket team, it's, it's almost exclusively white. There are a few exceptions. And that's been talked about a lot in cricket and particularly with all the stuff that happened over the summer with um, BLM and stuff, trying to get more diversity in cricket. But it's it's just like they, they haven't got a clear strategy. There's a lot of noise, but not enough feasible or tangible action, I would say. And, and are we seeing sort of more generally, we had players like Jason Roy, Alex Hales, 
to an extent, Josh Butler, who are, who are you know fantastic ODI batsmen, not playing consistently well enough at the <coughs> test level. Do you think that that might be the start, or at least you know a, a, an insight into how focusing solely on the shorter form of the game has neglected the traditional side of cricket? Yeah, definitely. I think it's becoming more and more apparent as cricket goes on. So there are there are players like David Milan, who's the best ODI. Or that was the, the one I couldn't think of. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So David Milan is the the best T Twenty batsman in the world right now, but he doesn't make the test side. He's he's not. He's, he's a good-looking batsman, but he's not the, the well-organised batsman you need in Test cricket. Jason Roy as well, he had an amazing World Cup, and they tried him out in the Test series in the Ashes afterwards, and he did not do too well. And the, the best example of this is Adil Rashid, who's, he, he exclusively said that he only wanted to play white ball cricket, um, and this was before an India a tour where India came to England, I think it was in 2018 or 2017 maybe, England just didn't have enough spinners and they had to bring in Adil Rashid and there was this like huge affair where it was like, he doesn't want to play test cricket, but because we've got no one else, we have to bring him in. That's that's a problem. Most people see the, the flashing lights and the fireworks of the, the franchise cricket and are less inclined to play more like old-fashioned traditional test cricket. And also just for players, there's far more money in franchise cricket IPL contracts of millions compared to a, a test cricketer who will get paid I, I don't actually know but a few thousand I reckon for a match but that it's it's just like there needs to be more incentive to play test cricket and I think the more you kind of specialize in the white ball format the less incentive there becomes and that will just make the problem even worse <laughs> So with that in mind, where do you think cricket at LSC does well? So I think particularly in engaging members. So there's this club captain called George May, who was there before I was even at uni. He said that at a RIA union, one of the, the, the times where alumni come along, he said the cricket club used to be very exclusively public school white boy kind of. Um, even the socials were very heavily drinking socials. And it wasn't more much of a cricket society as it was a drinking society. And he really tried to change that image. And he, he noticed that there were a lot of like people of Indian descent or South Asian descent that would come along to the first few weeks of cricket, see it, enjoy the actual cricket, especially we train at Lord. So it's always like amazing for a new person to come along and play at like the home of cricket. But then they wouldn't come along afterwards because they kind of be scared away after the socials. So he made this effort to try and make socials a lot more friendly, a lot more inclusive for all. And we've tried to definitely continue that. And we've had like a big push this year in particular. We're doing, particularly with the Women's Cricket Club, we've we've hosted like loads of sessions with the University of London. Um, we did this girl can week. We've done, we've tried to incorporate a lot more of the Women's CC into the cricket club. Um, and we've even tried to get a few players. So our first and second team aren't gender defined, whereas we've got a women's team. We're trying to push a few of the women's players into the actual first and second team. Um, and I think that happened when I was in first year as well. So yeah. there's a lot more of a push to try and get, like, make the club a lot more inclusive. That's amazing, yeah. So these days it has a very different appeal. And I think we're just, we're also focusing more, especially this year, there's not as much cricket we can do because of lockdowns and stuff. So just the the community aspect of it. So we've, we were trying to do an event with RAG, but that's been postponed because of the lockdown. Or we've... We're having a session with this organisation called Opening Up Cricket, who are like a mental health organisation. They're trying to 
help people or cricket clubs make their environments more open so that people can talk about mental health and um, they're, they're going to devise like a, a club mental health plan for us and stuff. So there's there's a lot of stuff going on. We've done our first November this year as well. Uh, we raised over a thousand pounds. So we're trying to create a, a, a more of a community bit while we can't play as much cricket, but just to try and yeah. make the club a lot more of a, a family, I guess. So that's amazing how you've responded. I think each sort of club and each club captain by extension has really found a, found a different response, but yours is very much on accepting the fact that cricket, or the actual playing of cricket, won't be too prominent this year, but there's still time to sort of structurally sort out the way the club is run. Yeah, definitely. And I think um, in particular with us, it's difficult because we don't play any cricket until May or June because of the weather. So we just train indoor in cricket nets. Um, and then last year we didn't get to play any matches because all the stuff happened or everything got shut down before we even got to play any games. So it's we're kind of hoping that while we can't train as much right now, if we create the sort of sense of community and try and get everyone to just be mates and get along and just have a, a strong sense of like family, I guess, then yeah. by the time, hopefully by about May, things would be lifted and we'd be able to play some more cricket. And that way we'd still have like a solid group of people that, uh, together and would have a good team for cricket as well. Great, man. And, and and so when May and June does come around, what will a sort of a day in the life of an LSC cricket member look like? How does it start? How does it end if things go well? How does it end if things go badly? <laughs> so um, yeah, it's it's you'll get a train to Berryland. It well, first you check the weather. Most most games I say get rained off, <laughs> which is right. the, the pleasures of playing in Britain. But um, yeah. If the weather's okay, even a slight drizzle, you'll, you'll force yourself out. Um, meet at Waterloo, go to Berrylands. Um, hope the other team turns up as well, which is often a problem. Hope everyone's got 11 players um, because it's exam season in, in the summer term as well. So you get a lot of dropouts, but it's it's always a bit of a lottery as to whether you'll have 11 players for each side. Um, and then, yeah, just play a bit of cricket, have good chat, good fun. Um, the second team in my first year didn't win a single game, which is always great. The first team are a bit more successful. Um, but then win or loss, you always end up at the pub, the Berry. Um, I forgot what it's called. Is it, it's just called the Berry, right? It's Yeah, yeah, it's just the Berry, yeah. Yeah, you get the, the Twickenham Ale. It's a very good ale, being from Twickenham myself. And then, yeah, just it's a, it's a very good good day out. And then you, it's also just nice to get some fresh air. Berrylands is also just a very good environment as well, mental health-wise as well, and a bit of a break from revision. So it's always always nice to just get a cricket game going. Well, that yeah, I think that's particularly relevant, um, as you said, around sort of exam time. In that sense, I mean, do you consider it personally that sort of break from exams? Is it is it, is it easy to sort of compartmentalise, or, or does one sort of invade the other? Well, yeah, I think most people that play cricket are by this point used to it. Like even during GCSEs and A levels, school cricket still happens. And because you can't play cricket before May, and even that May is pushing it, everyone has had the experience of like, I've got an A level exam tomorrow, but I've also got a cricket game, and my coach will be quite mad at me if I don't go. Um, so you you have to have that balance. And as a as a cricketer, you've kind of learned that like Easter is your time to just bash out a little bit. And you, you do walk into an exam, and if you don't do so well, it will always be in the back of your mind, like, oh, I should have should have skipped that game, and maybe if I'd revised a bit so that, more. That's when you get out. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, literally. But having said that, the amount of times yeah. I've bought like a, a textbook along to a match and then just not even opened it. But <laughs> everyone, everyone always has the intention of trying to study, but it never really happened. So it, you're you're kind of used to it at this point. But I I say if you've not got an exam on the day, you should be playing cricket.